the interruptions were becoming a little bit more forceful. And at some point, someone was like, hey, George, we're concerned for you, George. We're just concerned. Can you please eat something? Can you please drink something? Do you need to use a restroom? And it's like, why are you guys so insistent? Like, what's going on? Like, it's like, George, you've been here for 12 hours. It is now 10 p.m. Chapel started at 10 a.m. You've been here since soundcheck at 9. Can you please eat something? You're making us nervous. And I was like, what? Are you serious? Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. Disciple of City exists to equip every disciple to fulfill the Great Commission. As always, friends, follow Disciple City on Facebook and Instagram, and the Toddcast on Instagram at the Toddcast underscore DAC. And if you haven't already, download the United Hive app so you can post and share testimonies that are happening every day all over the world. My guest today is visiting from the USA. He's originally from Connecticut, grew up in Florida, and his obsession is the presence of God. On February 8th of 2023, he was one of the main worship leaders at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky. He's in studio with us today to share about what happened in the Hughes Auditorium following a regular chapel service, which turned into what we all know as the Asbury Outpouring. Please welcome Georges Dumain. <laughs> hey, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Todd. <laughs> Thanks for coming in and taking some time to see us. I know you're shortly on your way to the airport. Right. We're going to take you halfway there in uh, one of the Toddcast vehicles. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Little look on the side and everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think, I think I blew it a little bit with the name there. At the uh, end. It was pretty good. I, I'd give you a solid B plus. <laughs> it was better upstairs, though, in the green room. Right, right, right. <laughs> Man, once again, thanks for thanks for stopping by and taking some time to chat with us. Um, obviously, want to hear about the Asbury revival, the outpouring, right. Right. many names for it. Hey, right, right. But first of all, man, just uh, can you give us just a brief? Uh, the the show's primarily based on people's testimonies on how right. Jesus became real to them. Right. And we spend the show talking about that. But if you could give us sort of a little background on yourself, and then we'll get into what happened down in Kentucky. For sure, for sure. So uh, God in his infinite wisdom decided that <laughs> that I was going to need a lot of help growing up. And so he started six generations before I was even born, wow. setting the stage for the day that I would come into the world and be surrounded by family that knew him, loved him, trusted him. And still yet, um, as much as my parents loved Jesus and my older siblings loved the Lord, there was still this interesting um, gap of me feeling my own worth and significance. So, so growing up in a Haitian home, very hierarchical, like dad is king, mom is queen, and you know, older siblings are like princes and princesses, nobles. By the time it got to me, I was somewhat of a pauper, you know, the gopher. And, um, and I, I remember struggling to find my place in our, in our family. And I, I felt like I didn't have a voice. I felt like um, I wasn't as valued. And the enemy used that to really bring about this deep sense of depression. And it got so bad that it led to what I now know to be suicidal ideation. Like wow. I was thinking about ways to not exist anymore. And, um, there's a series of things happened to, to where it drove me to a place of frustration, fever pitch, anger. And I sprinted to my room, 
crashed into my bed screaming in my pillow like god don't you see what they're doing to me you know just so furious and instantly i felt this deep yet piercing and clear loving voice say george it doesn't matter because i love you and i was like what what do you mean it doesn't matter but didn't you see this and didn't you hear that and he was like george it doesn't matter because i love you and as he said that over and over again i felt light enter into the room and the warmth of his embrace rocked me to sleep that night and it just like completely changed the game for me woke up the next morning somewhat of a new lease on life excited about being alive again and and thought things would go smoothly little did i know another sibling would say something that kind of sent me hurling again in frustration and, and bitterness and, and, and anger and went to the room screamed to the pillow same thing the lord says george it doesn't matter because i love you and i'm like what about this what about that it doesn't matter george i love you this happens four nights in a row where god comes into my room like light wraps his arms around me rocks me to sleep and by the fourth night i was like wait i think i i get it now there's a pattern here literally no matter what happens in life he loves me and that makes all the difference i didn't know this at the point yet but this is in essence was romans 8 dynamic what can separate us from the love of god right nothing and that perfect love manifested in my heart and it really did cast out all fear all insecurity and i became this bold eight-year-old that was just determined to live life to the fullest so I began to serve in my home, doing extra chores, offering to do things around the house. My parents, my siblings noticed this shift in me, carried that to school, bring my Bible to school. And um, that launched me into this journey of not only abiding in that rich, deep love that God had for me, but making sure every and anyone that I ever met would discover this love as well. Wow. And so that's how Jesus became real to me. Wow. That's amazing. Young. Yeah. Eight years old. Yep. Yeah. Young to hear that. Mm-hmm. So this was in Connecticut. So I left Connecticut when I was about five years old. And so this is more like in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. In Florida. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. So, okay. Um, and then growing up in your teen years, you were still just, still just dialed into the Lord and. Yeah. Uh, man, I was just, again, so fortunate to be surrounded by a community, not just at home, but even my church family, um, just was pretty determined to see God touch my school, my community. And, um, at that time didn't really have a revelation of grace because I wasn't really in touch with my own sin just yet. And so if I saw and met people that were struggling, I kind of had a little bit of a like an arrogant, maybe prideful, pharisaical vibe to me because I didn't understand how hard life was and how tempting sin was because I was still pretty innocent. But as I began to encounter um, sexual temptation throughout high school, I realized, oh, this is a lot harder than I, than, I, than I was giving, you know, giving it credit for. But in that place, again, it didn't matter what the challenge was, whether it be pride or fear, whatever God loved me. And that allowed me to overcome ended up leaning into some really beautiful community with, with sisters and brothers in Christ that we would hold each other accountable and, and develop the community. Go, I went to college, university of Florida, and we bonded together. We knew that at the time, university of Florida was the number one party school in the, in the U S and so many Christians would go there and lose their faith. And we were determined, Hey, 
we're not going to do that. Um, almost like the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three, you know, three yeah. Hebrew boys. It was me, uh, a good friend named Afo, and a, a good friend, Gayon. She, him, and I just prayed together. Uh, and within two weeks, the prayer meeting grew just out maybe 70 or 80 people and then it just kept growing ended up joining a church um at the time was called first assembly of god gainesville florida and there were mentors there that really took us under their wings discipled us in the lord um grew further in our faith at the end of my freshman year i got hired on staff to be the college pastor and the worship leader for this church the church blew up in a beautiful way god was moving in in in, in such such a powerful way and during that season, we saw thousands upon thousands of people give their lives to Jesus, get baptized, get discipled, get launched into their careers, into their ministries. And, um, yeah, so that whole journey has been God's favor and faithfulness on my life. And it's, it's been a wild journey, wild ride, but I'm so thankful that he has kept me in his house. Yeah. 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 And you're, Friends, you're, you're definitely carrying something because I don't know if you heard that little beep, but my phone is on airplane mode. So I'm disconnected from the network. I'm disconnected from the Wi-Fi. yet the verse of the day still dropped into my phone while we're talking. Wow. <laughs> so Come that's on. pretty good, eh? <laughs> Amen. But, and which by the way is, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from all sin Mm -hmm. wow coincidence not at all not at all man (laughs) (laughs) amen (laughs) okay moving on (laughs) (laughs) so paint the picture of of uh what what brought you to kentucky yeah in the first place right so fast forward several years later my wife and i um who are proud parents of six uh, were living in Kentucky, sorry, living in Kansas city. But my wife was an online student for the Adsbury seminary based out of Kentucky. And she had done about two and a half years online and felt from the Lord that her last couple semesters should be in person. And at first I was a bit apprehensive because the uproot six and to move to a brand new city. Um, and from what we understood, Wilmore is in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. And, and Kentucky is one of those flyover states. No one really talks about Kentucky apart from their horses, Kentucky Derby and all that. But, you know, we were content in Kansas City and, and, and we wanted to kind of settle down because we had moved quite a bit. And uh, there were a series of really interesting, what now we know to be supernatural events. The Lord like almost forcefully moved us out of Kansas city and brought us to Wilmore. And we were kind of going back and forth for a couple months because we weren't really ready to move. Like we just packed up our bags. She had class in person around uh, sometime the second week of September, I believe. And she only had class one day a week. And so at the end of class, we pick her up and drive back to Kansas city and load more things into our car. And we did ping pong back and forth for about two months. So we get settled in um, Wilmore right around October is when we're kind of finally there. And I'm still a little bit 
Um, like I'm convinced wherever we are, God is going to do what he's going to do. So I'm not too worried, but wanted to make sure our kids were adjusting fine. And one of the beautiful things that God had connected us to the gospel choir at the university, uh, of, of Asbury. And, um, that was a place where I felt like my kids were able to connect with, um, people that were their age. Cause I have older children and, um, we started feeling more at peace being in the environment than we were before. And we were invited to a series of prayer meetings. There was like a 5 a.m. prayer meeting that was going on weekly, well, actually five days a week, and then a Friday afternoon prayer meeting. And these were our prayer meetings for revival, asking God to just part his spirit and to move in our midst. And so once I heard that there's a group of people in the city actively praying and believing God for revival, I had a sense, okay, God, we don't know when it's going to come, but we really want to hitch our wagon to this train, so to speak, and be a part of the people that are contending for his spirit to be poured out. Little did we know that it would happen just a couple of short months later, but, um, but that was like our entry into Wilmore. Into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so friends, Wilmore, Kentucky is about 16 miles Southwest of Lexington. Correct. So for everybody else listening around the world to the podcast, that's 25 kilometers. Right, right, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> um, yeah population of just only 6,000 people, including all the students and faculty and staff that, that are at the university and seminary. Um, how old is your oldest and how old is your youngest? Oldest is 23. He's married and is going to expecting his son in about three days. Nice. And then our youngest is three, three. Okay. Yeah. So, so, and, uh, would your oldest have been with you or is he out on his own? Or? Actually, he was out on his own, um, kind of in a prodigal state had repented but when he came home, he was like, hey, dad, by the way, I'm married. <laughs> and he's like, hey, we need help. And so we took both of them under our wings and started discipling them. And they moved in to where we were staying at this. It was like student housing for seminary students. It was a four bedroom apartment. And they moved in with us. And we were just like discipling them and helping them kind of grow in their faith and grow in the walk with the Lord. Um, and they were with us up until two weeks f- uh, from when the revival broke out. So, so they were with us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when you realized that something was going on in the city, so you were, how did you get involved in being a worship leader there? Was it for the university or is it, yeah. it's a, it's a seminary, is it? So what happened for the university or is right. it a, so they just share a name. So it's two separate institutions. One's okay. a seminary, which is like the graduate level, um, preparing people for ministry right. exclu- exclusively or missions. And then, Pardon me. And then you have uh, the university, which is a traditional liberal arts college, but they have, you know, other graduate programs as well, but um, a lot more undergrad. So the younger crowd is at the university, a little bit older crowd is at the seminary. Okay. They um, are across the street from each other. And um, my connection was that my wife's classmate, they're in the same program in intercultural studies, a master's degree program. Her classmate, Benjamin Black, is the uh, gospel choir director for the university. And so he was a student at the university, ended up working there, but moved over to the seminary to, to, to complete his master's degree. And so when he met my wife and heard that I sang, he's like, hey, you know, I'd love to connect with you and your husband. And I found out that they had a gospel choir. And we ended up going to one of their rehearsals. And 
to be quite frank with you, I was a bit surprised because when I walked in, it was just maybe a handful of students. I'm used to gospel choirs being a little a bit larger, and a lot of them had very soft voices. They're very sweet, but not what we would think of as like gospel, really big, soulful. Maybe maybe one or two, but um, but it was a little different than what I expected. Uh, but, but then again, you know. Kentucky is not necessarily a hotspot for like gospel music or anything, but what was precious was how beautiful uh, their hearts were towards God and how much they loved each other. Mm. And before they would get into practicing whatever song they had up for, for the next service or the next time they were singing, they would take time to just sing to the Lord and minister to him. And it was just like instantly this sweet sanctuary that was built from the voices that were being lifted up to God. And their, their faith was just so pure and so sincere. Um, and some of them were, you know, either younger in their faith or, 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 or just like in certain places in their journey where they're kind of discovering the power of the Holy spirit and the presence of God. And as someone who had done that quite a bit for several years at that point, almost two decades, I felt like this was a uh, divine appointment for me to kind of step in as an older brother, older, like a father figure of sorts to just wrap around them, encourage them, fan the flame, encourage them to go deeper in God and to serve them in whatever ways I could. And so singing with them became like a, like a cover just to like connect with them and to disciple them and encourage them and love them, answer their questions about life and marriage and family. Um, and it was done in the context of this uh, gospel choir. It was maybe about 10, 12 voices, um, so it was not that big at all. Yeah. What a gospel ensemble, but, um, but man, the, the gospel choir director, Benjamin black had such big vision and did not pull any punches. Like we sang the most gospel songs you can imagine in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, you know, um, very, very beautiful. And so that's how I got connected to the gospel choir. And so through that, the gospel choir was invited every once in a while to sing for the morning chapels. So chapels at Asbury university, happen three times a week and they're compulsory and mandatory. You kind of have to have a, you, you have to scan a QR code and there's assigned seating. And, um, and so it, it happens every, you know, three times a week, but every once in a while they'll invite the choir to come and sing. And Benjamin every once in a while would ask me to lead a particular song. And so that's when I would lead the song during the time of worship. And that's how I became one of the worship leaders that was on campus. So even though I wasn't a student, my by way of my wife's connection to Benjamin, I was able to be part of the mix of what was going on for worship at Asbury. Okay, so that was that would have been my next question. Then is was the choir involved in all these chapel services? So, so you have chapel services three times a week, right? Mandatory, which is interesting, right? As opposed to people just completely dissolved. Although if you're in seminary, you should want to go. Right. We right, would right. hope, right? Right. Right. <laughs> well, seminary is, the, seminary is the older crowd. The university right. is a younger crowd, but at most Christian universities, it's, it's, it's very commonplace for chapel to be mandatory, but it's, it's, it's almost like how, if you're going to go to university, you kind of have to have math class and you kind of have to have science. You can study whatever, but you kind of have to have these because it's core to the vision and the, the, the mandate of the university. Right. And so, so compulsory is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's, it's, it's not just, Oh, you can just go if you want to. It's like very integral and, and, and part of the, the experience that the faculty and staff and the leadership at Asbury are creating for students. And yeah. so, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it, it's just interesting for what we know then happened, right? Right. To me exactly. or in my mind anyway. Right. 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 <clears throat> okay. So, so February 8th, just a normal 
from what I read on Wikipedia, which is right. completely and always accurate. <laughs> right, right. But we'll, we'll find out now. Ooh, right, right. But um, what was written on there, like February 8th, 2023, was a normal scheduled chapel service, right? Correct. That's correct. And was the was your was the gospel choir invited to this particular service? Correct. They were slated to sing that morning. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, take us through then what what happened during that service, or what the what the room was like, or what was the shift? I know what I read, but let's right, right. let's hear how true that was. So, um, it's, it's it's an interesting question that I would love to answer, but the part that I believe that really is more indicative to what shifted started the day before. Okay. So on the seventh, um, the university president, um, who was a white man invited, I guess in collaboration with some other people in his staff and his cabinet invited a, a black pastor in community to have this event where they would read transcripts from the records of the, former um, slave owners from that county from hundreds of years ago in honor of Black History Month. So this is, again, the first kind of week of February, and it's very commonplace in in the U.S. to to kind of revisit some of those stories in honor of what had happened and to reflect on what that means and how we move forward in, in racial reconciliation. And so that was kind of like the purpose of this event. I was not aware of this event at all, but I get a call 20 minutes before they are starting from Benjamin Black saying, Hey, George, I know I've kind of been pulling on you a little bit more than usual, but is there any chance you can come out to this event? Um, it, it's, it's, you know, across the street, it's in, in about 20 minutes. Can you come sing the black national anthem? And, um, I said, sure thing, you know, I'm available and I love Ben. He's such a humble guy. Oh my gosh. I'll do anything for that guy. He's just such, such a precious, precious brother. And so I show up and I'm thinking I'm just singing the first stanza. Most blacks in America are familiar with the black national anthem. And, and what I didn't know is that he was going to have me sing the entire song, which, which had two additional stanzas that I was not familiar with at all. Same melody, but it kind of had to read different lyrics. And, um, as I'm up there singing during this event, um, I'm singing these lyrics and I'm marveling how much scripture is in this song. I'm like, wow, like this is incredible that God in his wisdom would allow those that were uh, commissioned to pen the lyrics for the black national anthem were rooted in scripture. And this would be somewhat of a guide for the black community in perpetuity so that they would always know that if they ever get lost in their identity, that it would, they would turn to God and turn to the scripture and turn to the word. And so I start tearing up a little bit because I'm moved by God's wisdom in that way. I'm just so thankful. And then all of a sudden I start feeling like the manifest presence of God stronger and stronger and stronger. And I'm like, wait a minute, God, what's going on? The song wraps up and I'm choking like on my words. I could barely muster a note through the tears as I'm singing this song. My eyes are getting blurry because I'm, they're being, you know, billowing up with tears and I finish the song. I go sit down and I just break. Like all of a sudden the weight of God's glory falls on me and I, I'm beyond undone. And as this is happening, it almost felt like an out of body experience. Cause I'm like, wait, what is going on? Lord, I, I know I, I'm familiar with your presence, but I haven't felt you this strongly 
in over 25 years. Like, what is this about? And as I was scanning the room, just the one, like, just noticing, like, is this just me? Is this everyone? What's going on? And then I, I noticed people were kind of looking at me, and I was like, man, I wonder if people are feeling pity for me because they're like reading transcripts from the wills of these slave owners and it's really gnarly stuff like hey to my first daughter she can have all my dark skin slaves and to my second son he can have all my light skin slaves and and all their children in perpetuity forever like so it's just really egregious things and as a black man in america like it it does affect me but that's not why i'm crying at this point i'm weeping because god is in the room wow he's like and I'm like undone, almost like an Isaiah six moment. Like the train of his robe is filling this temple and I'm beyond myself. Like, God, what is this about? And he says to me, George, I'm coming into this room to listen to these stories that have been hidden for so long. And I am coming to dignify these stories with my very presence. And I want to hear these stories because they matter to me as well. And I'm here to listen. And I was like, wow, like what a humble God that he in his wisdom and in his glory and, and, and majesty would decide to pull up a chair in this auditorium to listen to stories of the slaves that were brutally mistreated and to kind of join in this, this space where people were honoring these, these stories and these people. And because this was an event geared towards racial reconciliation and unity, I felt like he was just blessing it with his presence. And I was like, oh God, you're so good. Oh my gosh. And so maybe about 45 minutes, an hour goes by and I try to <laughs> kind of collect myself off of the ground basically. And I head back to my apartment and I look at my clock and I notice, oh, it's time for rehearsal. It's time to go back to rehearse for chapel morning, uh, chapel service the next morning. So during rehearsal, we have a great time. One of the songs I'm leading called Mighty One, beautiful song by Merrick City, um, is a song that really talks about a three-dimensional spatial interaction with God, like standing in the council of his presence and being overwhelmed by his glory and surrounded by his love. And we're rehearsing this song. Towards the end of it, there seems to be this shift of darkness trying to invade the space that the choir director notices I'm not aware of this at all. I'm like talking to some students and he's, he was coming down from the, um, from the sound booth and, and he kind of twitched and, and did this like weird move. And I was like, Hey, is everything okay? He's like, yeah, I just noticed something over, over the back, uh, corner in this auditorium. I was like, what did you see? He's like, well, I saw light wrestling with darkness. He's like, Hey, we've got to pray. And I was like, Oh, totally. Like, if there's a wrestle happening right now, let's tip the scales. Like let's, let's go ahead and pray and intercede and ask God to break in. And as we're praying and asking God to touch and feel this, uh, touch the sanctuary and feel the space with his presence, we said, Hey God, would you send revival? Would you manifest your glory tomorrow morning as we meet? Um, at this time, we're literally just praying what we usually pray. Like, like any believer who loves the Lord, where we're just always praying for revival. Little did we know that something spectacular would break out and and would touch you know the world and so we go to bed that night just feeling light as a feather just washed by his presence and we go that next morning to do a sound check so this brings us to february 8th now i'm coming in refreshed because i still feel the, like a slight buzz from the glory of god from the day before 
And um, again, I'm an older, I'm an older gentleman, almost 40. And these students are like 18, 19, 20, 21. And so whenever I'm in their space, like I try to like play second or third fiddle, right? I'm in the background, letting them do their thing. Um, and again, for this song, Benjamin Black insisted that I led this song, insisted that, that I, that I kind of carried worship for that time with a, a young lady, lady named, named uh, Lena Marlowe. And we do this, we lead this song together. And as we're doing the song, um, I could hear the students singing like they have never sung before. Now, mind you, this is not a particularly charismatic group. Um, they believe in the work and activity of the Holy Spirit, but it's not front and center at all. Like it's, most chapels are pretty standard. You know, there's, there's nothing out of the ordinary, I would say. Obviously, the reading of God's word is beautiful and holy and special in and of itself, but it's it's a it's a non-denominational kind of environment, right? There's not really an emphasis on the activity or the movement of the Holy Spirit. Though there are individuals, um, a few professors and teachers and faculty and staff that are building for revival and praying, but it's not the full, like it's not the main focus at all for this university. And, and so typically chapels are a bit quiet and... And when the gospel choir comes in for a certain service, typically it's a little bit more of uh, more energetic. You know, gospel music has that kind of a soulful vibe to it. But most of the sound is honestly coming just from the stage. And people sometimes just watch, you know, um, sometimes it's a sight to see because we do some like classic gospel songs that are really fun and, and we dance and we do our thing. But it's typically confined to the stage. This time around, I... I noticed that as we were singing the song Mighty One, that the students were entering into worship in a sweet way. And it was, it was different. And I was like, oh God, what, what you, what's going on here? What's going on here? And so during that time, I noticed that the speaker is coming up to the stage and I'm like, oh, we got to wrap this up. And the Lord was, in essence, was like, oh no, don't you dare. Don't you dare. I was like, <laughs> but God, I don't want to be that guy. Now, mind you, this is a predominantly white space that very, very like timely, like chapel services are 45 minutes, 50 minutes. I don't want to be that black guy who's just like making service go long. And I was like, those like, Hey George, if this is about other people, then you might as well just put the microphone down and walk away. But this is about me. Like, even though you don't have an official position at this university, you have a place in my, in the courtrooms of heaven. And so sing to me, go back into the course, go back into the bridge. And as I do that, I can feel like I'm taking a risk in this moment. Um, which again, if I'm in my space, I do that all the time. But again, me wanting to honor, yeah, you know what they're doing here. Didn't want to interrupt, but God said, do it. And so I did. And the students are singing even louder. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. This is so beautiful. They're, they're starting to really believe it is what it felt like. They're really believing this. And as they believe it, I felt God's presence was beginning to fill the room more and more and hunger was being stirred up in the room. So we finally land the plane. I could tell that, you know, the speaker's ready to speak. I'm like, okay, let's, let's end this. And uh, the chapel coordinator comes to me and says, hey, do you guys want to continue singing later on or after this, after the sermon? Or do you guys just want to like do a benediction and just kind of set the students loose and release them? And I said, oh no, like we've got to sing. Like we're not done. Like I can tell that the hearts of the, the students in this, in this room are ready to like really go to a new place in God. And I could just feel in my spirit this excitement to really usher these students in to a place that maybe some of them haven't been yet. And um, so service wraps up 
and he invites them to do business with God at the altar. Um, in essence, the sermon is just about the love of God and really becoming a friend of God and allowing that intimacy with God to grow. And the vast majority of students get dismissed and they leave. But there's about 12 to 15 students that stayed at the altar and they were hungry. They were thirsty for God. You could see many of them already like doing business with him and and just in that posture of repentance and, and, and just turn towards him. We go into the song goodness of God and we sing that and instantly I'm feeling the fire of God just beginning to increase on me. And I'm looking around the room just to see like, is this just me? And I wanted to make sure that I didn't do anything that would at all, like by way of like group think cause people to begin to act a certain way because George is manifesting in a certain way. And I was like, Lord, no, I want to be as still and as hidden as possible because if you do something, it's got to be all you got. I don't want any of this to be connected to me as me like ginning up emotion in a room to get people to, to feel a certain way and to respond a certain way. And sure enough, the more we sang, the more students were just encountering God. And before you knew it, 12 became 20, 20 became 50, 50 became 100, 200, 500. And it just grew from there. Wow. That's amazing. It's really, uh, I was just talking about this with my daughter the other day. It's really interesting and important what you said about how <clears throat> you can drum up a feeling, right? Mm-hmm. With you, If you're leading worship with a certain song, mm-hmm. lights, mood, right. all that, right? So it's really wild and wise mm-hmm. uh, uh, of just saying that. Right. And because it is the Lord and oftentimes people dismiss it to something else and miss right. and don't recognize that. No, this is the Lord. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, oh, 12, eh? Just hungry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so how long, so we know this, um, how long did you actually, how long did you actually stay before you? like left to go get some sleep or what, whatever. How, what, what did that look like for people? Cause I could see, I know for our team, you wouldn't want to leave at all, but right. I mean, realistically <laughs> at some point, you at some it. point, right. Yeah. No, you gotta go and question. come back. So what did that look like for most people? Yeah. So, um, so I'll start for what it looked like for me and then most people, cause it, it's a little bit different. <laughs> yeah. What did it look like for you? Yeah. yeah. So, um, so what was burning in my heart was a Psalm 63 reality of just like my soul longs for you, thirst for you, like to your parents for water. So does my, my soul thirst for you. And in that moment, I just felt so locked in on not only pursuing God for myself, but modeling for these students and helping to usher them and almost like chaperoning them into the presence of God and, and, inviting them into a place where there's so much more available than maybe what their theology had made room for. Um, and so as I'm in this space, I am, it's as if time itself just suspended. I was just locked in and every so often someone would offer me water or ask me if I wanted to, you know, take a break or if I wanted some food and I was like, I'm fine. No, really I'm fine. And after a certain point, it became an, it came it became annoying because it was an interruption. Like the like God is here, and we are beholding the glory of His presence. Like, please don't ask me about pizza anymore. Like I'm fine. Like trust <laughs> yeah. me. Like 
my food is to do the will of the father. And clearly right now, this moment calls for our gaze to be fixed on him and just to enjoy him and to drink him in and to be satisfied by his presence. And, um, then I noticed that there are, the interruptions were becoming a little bit more forceful. And at some point someone was like, Hey George, we're concerned for you, George. We're just concerned. Can you please eat something? Can you please drink something? Do you need to use a restroom? And it's like, why are you guys so insistent? Like what's going on? Like, it's like, George, you've been here for 12 hours. It is now 10 PM. Chapel started at 10 AM. You've been here since soundcheck at nine. Can you please eat something? You're making us nervous. And I was like, what are you serious? Like now that day was somewhat overcast. And the way that Hughes auditorium is, is that they're beautiful stained glass windows. But when it's overcast, you can't really see the shift of the light at all. And so it just, I had no sense of the time, uh, the passage of time at all. And so when they told me that it was 10 PM, I was like, Oh, okay. I see why you're a little bit concerned. It's been about 12 hours, but I felt as if it was only 12 minutes. Wow. It was just, and my voice held up for those 12 hours, like clear as a bell. Now being someone who is, I've been singing since I was six. And so right around hour two, my voice begins to drop off. And especially with the way that I like to belt and sing with all my heart and vigor, like I maybe three hours, but 12 hours is never, 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 never happened to me at all. And so that felt like a supernatural miracle in and of itself. No microphones, nothing was really amplified at all in this auditorium. And yet people were saying from the very back, they could hear my voice clearly. It really felt like a supernatural sustaining of God's power and grace on our hearts to worship. Now, thankfully, um, worshiping for an extended amount of time isn't new for me at all. And I could tell there are certain students that were like, oh, this is cool. This is new. You know, they're kind of going in and out, um, which is beautiful. Like, I don't, I don't think there's only one way to engage God in that, in that way. And it's almost in proportion to your faith and in proportion to your history in God. Um, by that point, some people were just like, would go to class and they come right back, you know, cause they, they had different appointments or responsibilities they needed to care for. Uh, but for the most part, as time would pass, people started noticing, Hey, this is different. God is moving. We might need to just put our regularly scheduled programs aside for a moment and let God do his thing. And so during this time, testimonies are going forth. Um, Zach Amir Creeps, who was a guest, uh, who was, uh, he's kind of part of the community ish, but he was the, the chapel speaker for that morning. He would do calls for repentance and share the gospel and invite people to share their testimonies and people were confessing sin and, and seeking reconciliation with one another. It was just like this in and out, like constant worship, but meaningful moments of just gospel presentation, people responding, people sharing healings that were happening and, and just breakthrough. And so people, it was just like this organic movement of God among his people. And you guess people didn't want to leave, you know, um, people who had to left, but as soon as they had a chance, they came right back. And this, again, this is just within the community. No one really in the town knows. Um, this is just the university. Some people across the street, the seminary were catching wind of it as well and came over as well. But the very first few days, it was just the people in the community and thank God for the faculty and the staff and the leadership at, at Asbury who had enough wisdom to not shut it down. They were like, Hey, God is doing something special. Cause at any moment they could say, okay, this is great. All right, guys, let's 
go back to you know life as normal and but they were able to discern God was doing something special and the wisdom was to do nothing right to just let God do his thing and they allowed the chapel to stay open and so by I think around 1130 is when I went, went home and just slept and woke up the next morning, maybe around six six thirty, and came right back and just continued helping lead worship and yeah. So, so that happened good. for about three days. I think right around day three ish, a lot more other people in the community started coming, and we started kind of forming these unofficial teams together, and and we would kind of switch in and out. And at that point, I saw my role now more so as coaching students that are coming into this space to not do the verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, bridge, chorus, next song, verse, chorus, you know, like just like the, what I like to call sometimes Christian karaoke. (laughs) We're just kind of singing as is, but it's like, no, 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 we're we're not just going to fly through these songs. We're going to meditate on these lyrics and we're going to repeat the verse maybe five or six times. And then the chorus 10 times and the bridge 20, 30, like we're just stretching these songs out. Because we're serenading God, right? We're ministering to his heart and we're allowing the very thing that we were all created for to just happen. And it was this master class conducted by the Holy Spirit and teaching his people how to sing to God again, how to minister to his heart. And in the midst of that, the gospel is being preached. People are being healed. People are being touched. There are times where people were experiencing demonic activity and being set free. Like it was just beautiful to see the very presence of God be the context in the very space by which all these other things are happening as a result of his manifest presence and manifest love. That's incredible. Right. Incredible. So this, this was initially just in the community. It started to go out. Of course, people are videoing stuff because right. <laughs> that's how I've, I, we all know that Facebook, Instagram, all these things work on algorithms. Right. So I've tried to flood my algorithm with Christian stuff, right, right? Right. So I start seeing, as did many other listeners, I'm sure, start seeing these reels and stuff of something going on there. Right. And then this thing starts getting big because mainstream media even started, right? right? And then, and then I know people here drove down, right? And it's ten, twelve, whatever it is from here, hour drive. People went down to, to go see what's going on. Right. So then it got nuts, right. like in the sense where. It almost became, so just before it almost not, I wouldn't say a security issue, but a logistically, right. Right. When you're talking 50,000 people, you can't fit them in the building. They're all over the property. (laughs) Right. right. So what just, um, just before we wrap up, give us a little bit of, of context of what happened when it went crazy nuts as far as the amount of people and what kind of had it end. Right. Right. So at this time, the community is kind of catching wind of what's going on and they're coming in and many in the community were part of a, a, a similar revival in the 1970s. Um, Which was also in February, interesting enough, right, February 3rd, 1970. Right, right. right. So beautiful, beautiful kind of like full circle moment. Um, and I believe Lode is very poetic and he's so intentional to do things in patterns so that we can recognize his signature when he's, when he's moving. And so, um, so people are coming in and, uh, from the community and parking lots are getting full, but it's still just within the city. So it's not too bad. Now students from other neighboring universities start coming. Then students from other neighboring States start coming and people are catching wind churches in the area are coming. And basically they ended up having 
to create satellite sites within the different buildings on campus to try to host everyone. And it just became this logistical challenge to try to figure out how to make it all happen. And it was like acts two where everyone just like all hands on deck. Like we, in essence, the different titles that all the different VP of this and VP of that and professor of this, like that didn't matter anymore. What were your gifts? What, what can you do? How can you bring what you have to the table to contribute to what God is doing in this moment? And it was like, almost like with beautiful or orchestral precision, the Lord is like conducting this symphony of the people of God coming together to just do the most amazing. Like there are certain people that felt moved by God to just bring snacks, like bring snacks. And so there's a back room just full of snacks, not just for the worship teams or people that were speaking, but for anyone in the room, anyone who just wanted like a snack. And he was like some of the, you know, healthy snacks and have waters and drinks. And, and people were like, Hey, do you need a place to stay? And so there's like a spot posted. Well, many places actually throughout the play, uh, property where you can scan a QR code and find a place that someone would be willing to host a complete stranger in their home if they needed a place to stay. Like people open their homes, open their pantries, open their hearts. And it was really like a, like an ax to kind of a moment as God was pouring on his spirit. It really allowed people to pour out love on one another as well. So that was really beautiful. But then it got really big. <laughs> and from what I understand, like parking lots were just jam packed and trucks couldn't come in to bring deliveries and all the logistics like sewage was backing up in the city and like wow. it was literally becoming an infrastructure um, challenge that was way more than they could ever I mean it's 6,000 people town with the infrastructure to support that kind of you know that amount of people and so I mean some people were saying over close to 70,000 people kind of came through and that was just overwhelming the system and they had signs saying, like, you, you know how, like, if you're driving down a road and there's some huge accident, they have these big signs that kind of give you a heads up of what's going on. Well, this, for the first time in my life I ever saw, is it revival at capacity? <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's like, wow. oh my gosh. And they were recruiting um, state troopers and police from other cities to come help and redirect traffic. And if you didn't have an, like an ID that had an ad- address for Wilmore, Kentucky, they wouldn't let you in. You know, it was just so wild. People started walking. People were parking along the road. It was like cars everywhere. Lines of people two, three miles long just to get into different spaces to just like pray and worship God and encounter his presence. And it was wild. It was wild. Now, what ended up happening was, so two years before that, though, um, what's known as the National Collegiate Day of Prayer Board had um, decided in concert with Asbury that the university would be the place that would host their 200th um, annual prayer that they do. And so it was scheduled, I think to be on like the 26th of February or something of that nature. And so when they had noticed that the revivals are breaking out, they're like, Hey, like there's no coincidence that God is pouring out his spirit in the very space that we've kind of set in our hearts to facilitate national prayer for every college campus in the U S. And so they said, Hey, let's live stream this thing to all the other campuses and, and let's kind of merge. Cause they were going to do their own event. But when they noticed God was already doing so they're like, Hey, how do we 
come under what God is already doing and support that. And so what ended up happening was that big event became like the bookend of what people were sensing was what God wanted to do and not just like letting it be a place where God was pouring his spirit because it's beautiful to come together, but they really saw that the shift needed to be ascending people out, like not just staying in one place and letting all the salt and light concentrate in one place, but encouraging students, teachers, families, churches, Hey, take what you're encountering here and go back to your communities and continue and go to, I mean, we're people at this point, people from all over the world are coming, go back to your country, go back to your nation and spread this out. Um, some of it was like students kind of need to go back to life and study and complete their degrees and stuff like that. And some of it, I, I do believe in some ways was the Lord, um, just witnessing, um, Sorry, the Lord using Asbury as a witness for what is available to the body of Christ today. Come on. This was just a small tip of the iceberg. I like describing it as the Lord. So that those 16 days were the Lord showing us the menu of what's available yeah. to have in him. And so um, if you think about the the beautiful picture in Ezekiel chapter 47, where there's a river flowing from the temple of God. I believe that experience of 16 days of worship and prayer and just encountering God together as a community was honestly us ankle deep. Um, and I say that not to at all minimize what happened those days. I mean, the glory of God is the glory of God, but there was so much more that God intends to do. And I believe that that was somewhat of a flashpoint, a little bit of an indicator turning signal. Hey, I'm about to pour my spirit out everywhere. Get ready. And this is what one of the ways that it'll look like. And I believe every community um, that already had people that have been praying and contending for revival felt like a fresh wind of inspiration. Like, oh, God is still on the move. Like, we're not praying in vain. Let's pray until he does this in our place, too, in our city, too. And I believe as it says in Isaiah, that the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And there will be a day that what happened at Asbury back in February of 2023 will be like a drop in the bucket to what's happening everywhere all over the globe. And so I believe that um, even though some people are pretty sad that it, that it ended and I kind of see the, the, the practical wisdom of it ending and even the, this biblical precedent of, Hey, let's not just stay in Jerusalem. Like we need to take this out to the ends of the earth. And that's kind of the reason why I'm here in front of you now. Right. And so, um, the Lord from that place sent me to Canada many, many times. I think it's my fourth trip to Canada, sent me to Korea and some other places where I was able to like really testify what he did there. But then my main message is, why not here? Why not now? Like, let's contend for this now. Let's pray. Let's lean into what's available. And so that was some one of the, the big bookend event that kind of wrapped things up for the, for the Asbury outpouring. And honestly, there's still a buzz on campus. There's still students that are like, Hey, like now that we know what's available, let's, let's, let's meet up again and let's keep praying and keep pursuing God's presence. We want more. We're not satisfied with what we received. Then there's still more to have and we want to go for it. And so there's just like this palpable hunger that is still on the campus. And I believe God's going to do it again. But this time I, f I feel like it's going to be many more places at the same time. Yeah. 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 That'd be awesome. Um, we got to race you to the airport, man. Yeah. <laughs> 
But hey, friends, um, George is here with uh, with one of his sons. He, he came up to Peterborough. He was part of uh, the Ark of God's um, uh, Gospel News Festival. Right. Um, Good News Festival, rather, with uh, Brother Stanley. Um, we're going to take you to see Brother Stanley right now. Um, thank you very much, man, for coming in and sharing about this. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for sharing some time. I have uh, one more question for you, my friend. Um, and you kind of you kind of answered the question that I had in your last okay. sort of statement and stuff like that, but just to, to rephrase it or whatever. Um, as I came to Christ later in life, I've heard lots of people like desiring revival. Mm. And I felt like God saying to me anyways, in my heart mm. that I've already done my part. Mm. I'm waiting for you. Right. 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 So, I mean, that's what I felt in my heart. So right. what, what would be your message mm. to all the Christians listening around the world right. about how to bring revival? Right. Right. Which, which, seemingly started with 12 over there. So what's right, your message right. to the Christians? Yeah, my my passion and obsession is the presence of God. And that comes because I understand who I am in him. I'm his son and he's the king of the universe. And to be separated from him is the abnormal, odd, non-reality. Um, and whenever Christians take time to reflect on who God is to them as father and who they are to him. They'll recognize the intimacy and encountering God's presence is the baseline. It's the norm. It's what we were designed and created for. And the moment that the sons of Adam begin to realize that they are actually born of the new creation and have been seated with Christ in heavenly places and are called to rule and reign with him in the earth now in part in fullness it will come but even now today you can encounter god wherever you are at home at work in school wherever you are you can actually have fellowship with god and when we do that together it becomes this magnet that really does draw the presence of god i believe that god is true when he says um seek me seek me and when we draw near to him, he does draw near to us. And when his presence comes, it's like nothing we could ever imagine. And then that becomes our norm. And then we just go deeper and deeper in his presence. And that's what will carry the church into this state of revival. You only revive things that are dead, right? But once you are alive, then what? And I believe that God intends to revive his church and to put us on mission to see the good news of the gospel of his kingdom touch the four corners of the earth until he returns. And so that's my encouragement. Take your identity in God seriously and seek to develop that intimate connection and relationship with him and watch what he'll do as he transforms you and his city and your city as he moves among you. Amen. Amen. Thanks a lot, brother. <laughs> as as he told you when you were young too, it doesn't matter. Right. I love you. Right. right. And like those twelve that remained initially, right? That hunger. Right. right. Bill Johnson said, "Man, if you ask the Father, if you ask Him for bread, He won't give you a stone." Absolutely. Right. Right. Amen. Right. 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 right.